Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. As well as it's nice just coming into a place that's been decorated so beautifully. It brings a warmth uh, and an invitation to our hearts. So for those of you that have worked hard over the last couple of days, I know I've seen some of you at work. Uh, thank you for doing that. I'll invite you to open your Bibles this morning uh, to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 verses 7 uh, to 18 is where we'll be spending our time. Or page 835 in the Pew Bible uh, in front of you. Page 835 in the Pew Bible in front of you. The one I'm holding, um, it's, it's actually unique for me. This will be the last sermon that I preach from this Bible anyways in this place. Um, this Bible was given to me, if I look to the front, uh, in 2001 uh, by my mom when I started at the Met. My mom's with me here this morning, and so thank you for your support uh, of, of the ministry that God's called me to, um, and also how this tool has just blessed my heart and hopefully the hearts of others as well. So thank you for that gift. Uh, I think we've also all been extremely appreciative of the preaching that we have received. I'm not going to move that. Um, over the last number of months uh, under Pastor James. There's been a clarity to the word and a conviction to our hearts that I think comes through uh, great work and depth of study as well as just God's gifting and so we can be appreciative of that. And so the mantle I hold this morning and bringing God's word to you I, I feel is a high one and I hope that as we read this passage and explore it together uh, your hearts will be encouraged as mine has uh, in, our time of stu- in my time of study. So as has become our practice, I'm going to invite you to stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Listen as I read. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is also called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm, stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Aeropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Please be seated as I pray. Fathers, we spend time in your word to us this morning. My prayer is that the things that you would desire us to hear would not only be said, but be received by our hearts. 
and then worked out in our lives in the days, in the weeks, in the months, and in the years which we have left on this earth. We pray this in confidence that you can accomplish these things in and through us. We pray that your spirit work mightily in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Having the opportunity to read the way a letter ends can tell you a lot about what has come before it. Maybe it says, regards, a little more serious, Uh, gratefully yours, Uh, regretfully yours, with condolences, Uh, your friend, much love, with love, love. And then there's the way that Bev and George Comfort sign their letters off to one another. Love. (laughs) You know, the way a letter is signed can tell you a lot about what has come before it. And as we've been spending the better part of the last four months in Colossians, uh, we are now finding ourselves in the end of the letter where even if you look to your Bible, you'll probably see a subheading that maybe reads uh, final greetings or farewell saying or something like that. A final greeting that is intended to act as, as a signature or, or exclamation point to all of the teaching that has come before it. It's to give us in the flesh examples of all the teaching that we've heard to date. What does this actually look like? Let me give you some examples, Paul says. Now at first glance, you might think this is a a rudimentary fare thee well uh, kind of uh, formal ending to a letter that we see in the scripture. Um, As you heard it, maybe you asked the question, what on earth, where on earth is the sermon in this? Uh, You wouldn't be alone in asking that question. Uh, When I first read it, it was the question I asked. And then after spending some time in it, I saw that the depth and breadth of this passage is much uh, greater than we might at first expect. And what we're going to see this morning as we unpack the backstory to these final verses is how the Apostle Paul names particular individuals to show how a wide and unwavering heart for the gospel is, re- is reflected in the lives of those who truly reflect Christ. Also that how we talk about one another, how you and I talk about one another, is best done in the context of Christ, the kingdom of God as a whole, and in the furtherance of Christ's church. In fact, Paul begins this passage this morning by, by, by telling his readers about those he has entrusted to bring his words to them and why they are doing so. In fact, uh, look to verses 7 and 9 with me there. He mentions two men, Tychicus and Onesimus, two names that we're not too familiar with, uh, but that were more common to him, obviously. And that they are bringing words and that they are doing so that the, that the church in Colossae uh, might know about Paul's circumstances. We see that in verse 8. But also that their hearts might be encouraged. Paul's heart is that the heart of the church would be encouraged. And while we don't know a lot about Tychicus, we do know quite a bit more about the second guy I mentioned, Onesimus. You see, Onesimus was a runaway slave. He was the property of a wealthy Christian man who was a part of the church in Colossae. 
That man's name was Philemon. In fact, we have a letter that was written particularly to Philemon about Onesimus and how he should receive him. So the church in Colossae didn't need an introduction to who Onesimus was. They knew. And in a context where, where the slave-master relationship was the norm, was part of their, uh, their cultural experience, the church in Colossae knew that Onesimus was a guy that had taken off and cost one of theirs some serious coinage. And so upon hearing his name, the thought of receiving him well it might need a little bit of a push. See, Onesimus had a notoriety about him that was anything but noble. And yet here it is, we see he's being sent back. And he's not just being sent back uh, empty-handed. He is being given the honor of holding a letter and delivering a letter from the Apostle Paul. And the great apostle himself is calling Onesimus a faithful and dear brother. Now, if you and I were sitting in a church in Colossae, and we heard this name, Onesimus, and then we heard this part about, hey, you've received some instructions. Uh, you, you know who he is. Receive him. He's a faithful and dear brother. We might be asking, doesn't Paul know who this guy is? Does he know how he's cost one of our own? Well, the answer is yes. Paul does know. He knows all about him, which is why he sent him back and gives instructions on how he's to be received. Why? Because Onesimus has been changed by the gospel. And so Paul, knowing his story, sends him back still a slave. Still a slave. His status hasn't changed in society. But he instructs the church to receive him not as a criminal, but one who is now known to be in Christ. If you allow your your eyes just to scan back a a page here, you'll see in Colossians 3.11, remember all of these things acts as as an exclamation point to what Paul has been teaching to date. Uh, Look to verse 11. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, what? Slave or free. So when Onesimus is sent back, He's not to be received as a slave, as some guy who who shorted one of their own on some services, but one whose heart has been changed and now is seen as in Christ. Imagine with me for a moment that we receive a letter from a chaplain uh, at the former Kingston Penitentiary about a man who's done his time. Now, this guy was so bad that when Kingston Penn, which is now closed, shut its doors, they left him there. They said, you can just do your time out there. Uh, We know about this guy. There's a notoriety about him. And we get a letter from this chaplain saying, hey, I'm sending this guy to you. He's done his time. But his heart has also been changed by the gospel. I want you to receive him. Now, with all the stigma that goes with that, of having some sort of criminal past, how should we receive him? If there is no slave or free, if there is no one who 
who remains who they are prior to Christ, after Christ, but only Christ, then how do we receive such a man? We receive him the same way that the church was to receive Onesimus. If the word comes down that this man is a faithful and dear brother, then we receive him as a faithful and dear brother. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And this is good news for all of us. Because if you are in Christ, you are not the person that you used to be. And maybe that's the good word that you need to hear this morning as I step aside from our passage for a moment. Maybe this is the word that you need to hear, that in Christ, if you should confess your sins, that if you should place your life under the teachings of Christ and under Christ's authority, you're given a new start. And heading into the Christmas season, new things are good. A new you is even better. And so maybe you need to reach out to Christ in this moment or in this day or as we partake of communion and confess your sin and be made new. Now the Apostle Paul not only writes about, about those who should be in jail like Onesimus, but one that is free but finds himself in jail and another whose actions towards the church really have been deemed as nothing more than criminal in the past. In fact, look to verse 10 with me. Verse 10 of our text, it says, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Side note, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Uh, So we know that Paul is not alone in prison. That's a good thing. At very least, Aristarchus is with him. And we see that Mark and another man named Justice, who we'll hear about later, are Jewish Christians that are caring for him and bringing him some comfort. And while Paul brings honor to Aristarchus, who's sharing in his chains, he makes, he makes a particular point to highlight Mark and what the church should do if he should come to them. Why is this important? See, if you and I had been sitting in that church again and then we heard Mark's name, the, the cousin of Barnabas, we heard that reference given, our heads would have turned Whispers would have started because we knew who he was talking about. (coughs) Oh, excuse me. I apologize. That was loud. If you were sleeping, you're not anymore. And it says, you've received instructions about him. Receive him. Remember, this is a litany of names and attributes. And they're to act as an exclamation point to all of the teaching that has come before it. Each person is an example. I need to take a drink, excuse me. (coughs) You see, Paul and, excuse me, Mark's cousin, Barnabas, were really close. Uh, When it came to contending for the gospel, these guys were battle-hardened brothers. Uh, They linked arms and they went hard after proclaiming Christ's truth. 
And they did it in places where their lives were at risk. I mean, think, in current example, think, uh, think Afghanistan, think Syria, think parts of Indonesia, think Algeria. You know, when they opened their mouth on behalf of the cross, they were putting their neck on the line. And there was one time that we read about in Acts when they're out ministering to people together, proclaiming God's truth, and things got a little rough. And when that happened, Mark bailed. Now that's not good. And the next time it came time for them to go out again, a Barnabas, Mark's cousin, said, hey, I got no problems in bringing Mark along. But Paul said, uh-uh, I don't trust this guy. He bailed on us the last time. I don't want him with us. Scripture refers to this uh, disagreement that Paul and Barnabas had about John Mark, as he's known in the passage. It says they had a sharp disagreement. That's a nice way of saying they had it out. And in the end, they parted ways. Uh, No, they didn't leave the faith, but they just ministered in different parts and with different people. So the church in Colossae would have known about this split. And so Paul gives particular reference to Barnabas as it refers to Mark. And then he reminds them to use the instructions that they have earlier received about how they should receive Mark. That they were to welcome him. Because if he hadn't reminded them, it could be that he would show up one Sunday morning And he may not have seen smiling faces in open arms. And what are these instructions that Paul has given to him? Uh, To a church that that can easily take sides, what kind of direction does Paul give to the church in Colossae? Uh, Look back to 3 verse 12. (coughs) 3 verse 12 says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see, Mark was a Christian who had messed up. He was a Christian who had messed up and he had hurt some people in the process. I think it's something we can all relate with at some level, at some point in time. But the fact that Mark was now with Paul and Paul is giving some direction to the church, it tells us that somewhere along the way, they had taken the time to work things out. So how was the church to welcome Mark should he show up one Sunday morning? How were they to do that? Well, with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with patience, and forgiving as the Lord had forgiven them. And and that good word isn't just true for the church in Colossae or some other part of the world. That good word is good and true for us here today, for Maple Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, True, we may, may not be in a mission context where where when we go out caroling, people start hucking stones. 
but there have been times, if we can huddle in for a second, there have been times in our church when things have not gone as well as we sense them to be going right now. Maybe there's been an argument that's been had and angry words exchanged. Or a decision has been made and it's left some folks feeling like they didn't matter. The exchange has not been good or godly. And maybe folks have pulled away internally or they have left altogether. No, they haven't left the faith, but maybe they've left for another church. And the wounds that we know exist that maybe we gloss over at times and we say, they don't really matter. We know in our heart they're deeper and more painful than we'd like to admit. But let's say for a moment that, that the tides turn and, and the issue which once divided, that thing that was once important, ceases to be so. And, and the love that is lost is desired once again. If that's the case, how are we to receive one another? Sure, there are particulars that need to be worked out. Paul sits down with Barnabas, uh, with Mark. Hey, uh, Mark, yeah, remember that time? <laughs> remember that time when things weren't going so well and you bailed? Maybe for us, it's, hey, remember that time when we were talking about that thing or we were making that decision or we were working together and, and there was that clash? Yeah, we need to work those things out, but how are we to receive one another back into our fold? Well, just like the Colossian church was to receive Mark. Look back to verse, verse 12 again of chapter 3. What does it say? With compassion, with kindness, with humility, patience and forgiving. How? Just as the Lord has forgiven us. And we have been forgiven much. And this is the grace of God that the scripture speaks about. And when it's at work in our lives, it allows us to respond that way. On my own, I am incapable of doing that. I am a belligerent, angry, short-tempered, impatient man outside of God's grace. But with God's grace, a new man is being built. So for you here today, a new man, if you are in Christ, is being built. A new woman is being built in Christ that will allow you to respond in such ways. Grace helps us to accept people, doesn't it? Uh, Our passage, though, also tells us it helps us to accept people groups. Uh, You may not have seen this at first glance. I didn't see it until I'd done some digging and and chatting with some other folks. So I'll explain something to you that will make a little more sense once I help it make sense, if that makes sense. That makes sense? Okay. Uh, Paul makes special reference uh, to three names, three uh, Jewish names that are all contending for the gospel with him. Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who's also known as Justice. Jesus was a common name in the day. In fact, he mentions that Aristarchus is actually in prison with him. And then the next three names that we read, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas, are all Gentile names. Now that might not mean a lot to us uh, at first glance, but understand that in a time when ethnic rivalries could quickly flare up, Knowing that, that Jew and Gentile were working together, that meant something. And it underscores a point 
that Paul is subtly making and saying that we are all, this, in, all in this together regardless of where we're from. So the church isn't about one group or one language or one skin color or one culture. In the church where Christ is the head, verse 11 of chapter 3 is true in both word and practice. There is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian. Christ is all and is in all. Christ becomes the defining characteristic for us. All of those other things fall away to the side. In fact, Paul reinforces this point when he mentions that Aristarchus, a Jew, is physically in prison with him and then makes particular reference to Epaphras, a Gentile known to the church in Colossae, as one who has imprisoned himself to prayer. In fact, look to verses 12 and 13 with me. He speaks of Epaphras in this way. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he was working for those at Laodicea and Aeropolis. Epaphras is described not for his physical characteristics, but for who he is and how he is working for the church in Christ. That he is always praying, that he is working hard so that the hinge point that we know to be true about the letter to the Colossians is true. Can you think back, we're, we're probably a few months back now, uh, back to chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Just flip one page back and you'll see that. Uh, this letter, this heart, this hope, this hinge point of the book rests on this passage. Paul says, so then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This is what Epaphras is praying for. This is what Epaphras is willing to empty himself on behalf of. That the church would not fall, that the church would not stumble, that the strength of the gospel would remain true and that they would be presented mature in every aspect of faith. And the heart of Epaphras, as it pertains to the church, isn't just for the one in Colossae. See, they knew him because he was the guy that actually brought the gospel to them. But Epaphras' heart for the gospel is huge. Uh, he wants this to be true for other churches. And so we see, we read of him praying for other churches, working hard on behalf of churches that are outside of Maple Avenue Baptist Church, but that cling to the cross. And so as we pause and as we think about churches in Georgetown or in Halton Hills or in Halton Region or the greater Toronto area, I mean, we can keep circling out. Who are those that we ought to contend for? That we ought to be praying for? That we ought to be working hard for? Those churches that declare Christ and cling to the cross. And we see this as true of Paul's heart as well. Not only is Epaphras praying for other people and working hard for them, but Paul says, passes along some greetings to others as well. I mean, you can look down and see that uh, he mentions that he wants a woman named Nympha 
to be greeted specifically. Why? Because she's laboring on behalf of the church. She's opened her home to be a host to God's people. And so she gets a special shout out in Scripture because of the character of her heart in Christ. He also makes special reference to actually greet the church in Laodicea and Aeropolis. So Epaphras is contending for the church. Why? Because although the church individual as we are in nature is part of a greater and global expression. And so whatever is good, whatever is profitable, ought to be shared between us. In fact, we get this point hammered home in verse 16. Look there with me. It says this, After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read to the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Now, God in his providence has seen fit that we don't have that letter from Laodicea. Uh, We actually know, if we read through the whole of Scripture, uh, that there are probably some other writings, uh, much of what the minor prophets we don't have, for example. It's not uh, that they were less important, it's just that what we have is less, actually, in quantity. Uh, we know that there are other letters probably written. One, at least maybe, maybe even two, to the Corinthians. We don't have those letters. But that's not of concern to us in this moment. Uh, at the time, the letters and the encouragement that was going between churches was to be shared. Because the truth of God's word is applicable to all of God's people at all times and in all places. A verse which might be familiar to you is found in 2 Timothy 3 verses 16 and 18. It says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, what we need to live out God's will for our lives, to know Christ as we need to, and to be able to explain him to others, we have. And that is of great confidence to us. And it's a great tool that we have to us. And so before Paul signs off in his own hand, he actually gives some specific instructions passed along to one other guy. And when I say his name, Archippus, it's not a common name for us, but I'd like you to put yourself in his seat for a second. You're sitting in the crowd and you're hearing your name spoken. The Apostle Paul is saying, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. Uh, We don't know what particular work this was referring to, but we do know the direction that Paul gives. Get it done. And in some way, that's true for all of us. If you are in Christ then that has become the defining characteristic for you and your focus in life. The person of the Holy Spirit is at work in you and should be driving you towards something. Uh, maybe it's to, to study your Bible, just, just to get down and get in God's Word. Maybe it's to, to go to seminary or, or to be sent overseas. It could be something maybe a little less dramatic, but just to find some way to serve in the church. God's saying, get after this. Whatever 
whatever the Lord has trained your heart towards, whatever that thing is, I think Scripture would tell us, get after it and get it done. Be known for who you are in Christ and how you work on behalf of the cross. As I mentioned before, this final greeting acts as an exclamation point of sorts to the entire letter. And what Paul says here to close acts as that dot to the bottom. Look at verse 18. He says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul's saying, listen, what I've told you in this letter isn't being spoken from the posh confines of a denominational office or from the seat of a golden chair in Rome. It's being spoken to you through a man who's been so transformed by the gospel that the freedom I have is now represented by the chains I bear for Christ. Paul closes by saying, I am contending to the point that I am chains. I am in chains. You can pray for me while I'm in this state. And may the grace of God which has called you, transformed you, and is transforming you be with you in such a way that all of the instructions that I've given you to this point be ones that you can live out for the good of God's people and for the glory of God's name. You see, Getting to see the way a letter ends can tell us a lot about the tone of what has come before it. Before you close your Bibles, just allow your eyes to scan down our passage again. What does it say about the people? How does it refer to them? Dear brother, faithful minister, fellow servant, fellow prisoner, fellow workers for the kingdom of God, comforters, servants of Christ, prayer warriors, ones who work hard on behalf of the faith, The way Scripture perceives people isn't the way we perceive them. If someone were to ask, so how is is so-and-so? Would you speak about them in terms of, well, their health is doing this, or they've got this job, or they've got this many kids now? Or is it the way that I spoke about you (laughs) when I ran into Pastor Jim Reese last week? Jim Reese, our former interim pastor, larger-than-life kind of guy. He just exudes love. If you're alone in a room with Jim Reese, you know at least one other person in there loves you. And Jim asked me, how are things at the church? My response wasn't, well, we're doing this stuff, and we're, we're moving this thing, and we're getting this stuff done, and this is great. My response was, I'm so encouraged right now. Bev Comfort and Jerry Kunick are just pouring into some younger women in our church right now. And I'm so encouraged by that. I'm so encouraged by the way Nelson and Nancy Potroff pray for you. And when you bring stuff to them, you know they're going to pray for you. I, I'm, I'm encouraged by the way I see Charles Edwards digging into the word and seeing that applied to his life and growing in faith. I'm really encouraged by this couple that's come to our church John and Catherine Heron and their two boys, they moved from Gatineau and the the first thing on their list of things to do, they moved on Thursday, was to be at church on Sunday. And they're here and they're connecting and that's good. That's how I speak about you. 
That's how we ought to speak about one another, of who we are in Christ. Who has Christ transformed you to be and how are you laboring on behalf of the cross? So what do we do with Onesimus? The notorious Georgetown man who now returns, that black sheep of the fold who returns. No longer a criminal, but now one in Christ. We receive him. What about someone who's maybe from that other part of Georgetown? Or from Brampton? Or from Bangladesh, for that matter? How are we to receive them if they are in Christ? As brothers and sisters who are in Christ. For those who have stood shoulder by shoulder to us for a time, but as we would perceive it, abandon our church at a time of great need, or have distanced themselves amidst disagreement, how are we to receive them? With kindness, with com- compassion, with humility, and we are to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us because we have been forgiven much. And to those who are in chains because of their faith, we do not pray for their release, but we pray that they might remain faithful and faithfully proclaim the mystery of Christ. And all of this so that we can say to one another, may God's grace which sustains you in being able to live out all of these things be with you today, tomorrow, and the days that we have left on this earth. Let's pray together. Our God and Father, we thank you that you have taken the old sinful parts of ourselves and you have covered over those with the character of Christ. And so now as we look at one another, Father, thank you that we can see each each other through that lens, through the lens of your grace, through the lens of your compassion, through the lens of your love, that we are known by our work for the cross of Christ. We thank you that we can receive one another and that you change our hearts to be able to do that. We thank you for those that labor on behalf of the gospel. We pray for them today. May we be people that reflect your grace and your love, that are witnesses for Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.